Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of What You're Reading. This week's episode will go alongside the blog post for October 28th. As always, in that post, I will link to all the books, the quotes, and the miscellaneous things that I will be mentioning. You can find the entry on tbqsbookpalace.com. Fair warning, you guys, I have not yet had my cup of coffee for the morning, so this may be a horrible idea to record right now. We're just going to go with it. We're going to go with it. Happy Friday. Well, for me, while I'm recording this, happy Friday. So remember that marshmallow cream frosting that I was talking about last week? I used it on those s'mores brownie bites. Yeah, I had leftover frosting, remember? I decided to make use of it this week, and I made sugar cookies to go alongside it. A+. plus. Definitely recommend it. And it was a really easy uh, sugar cookie recipe, too. Makes like a, a soft cookie, not one that you would roll out to make shapes, you know, cut shapes out of. It's not that kind of sugar cookie dough. So I will link to the recipe for both the cookie and the frosting in the blog post if you're interested. Let's move on to the Romance Landia Twitter type chats, shall we? We have a couple of them this week, although one of them isn't so much Romance Landia related, but we got in on it. We'll get to that one in a minute. So first up, I brought up a blurb that I found while I was searching through book deals to do the summaries on those. Came across a blurb that was so, so confusing, I spent five minutes reading over that blurb and had no damn idea who the characters were, who was talking, what was going on. Come to find out that the first two paragraphs of the blurb were from the hero's point of view, first person. The last two or three paragraphs of that blurb was from the heroine's point of view, first person. But there was no delineation between those two, so it read like an entire blurb from one voice, even though it clearly wasn't because you were getting and different pronouns. I will leave a link to this blurb. It was so confusing, and even besides the confusing first-person switch, it was just confusing on what it was trying to explain was going on in the book. I posted that to Twitter and told people, you know, this is a bad example of a blurb, which uh, so many people agreed on. In fact, so many people kept thinking that it read like it was a blurb for an MM because it sounded like one voice, or it could have been an FF because it sounded like one voice, not like a hero and a heroine, which also crossed my mind when I was trying to figure out what the hell was going on in that blurb. But it also brought up the conversation, even if your book is in first person, should your blurb be in first person or third person? Because when it's in first, it tells you nothing about the story. You get these very dramatic blurbs, right, of, oh, I am a rich, powerful, handsome dude with a dick the size of a two-liter bottle, and I'm going to fall for this woman, and she's going to be the only one that can tame my soul. You get that dramatic thing that tells you nothing about the plot or the characters or anything else, which is useless to most readers because we're looking at the blurbs to decide if we're going to want to read that book and spend our money on it. If we can't figure out the book by the blurb, then we're just more likely to just pass over your book entirely. You just lost out. If you do it in third person, you're going to give us more information, which is great. The only thing is, if your book is first person and your blurb is third, you still need to put somewhere in your blurb that the book itself is in first person because there are so many that want to avoid first person romances or books in general. I guess there's a pro and con to doing it either way, right? First person blurb may match the first person point of view inside of the book, but it doesn't tell us anything about the book. Third person blurb for a first POV book uh, is can also be misleading to a reader. I'm not quite sure what the answer is there. I think the best bet is do everything in third person for your blurb, but put somewhere like at the end, note this book is in first POV. I mean, it could be literally that simple, and I think you would have readers that were not 
as angry with you when they couldn't understand what the blurb was. But I will leave a link to that discussion on Twitter because there was so many that was going in on it with me and agreeing. And there were some really funny discussions as well within it because that's how it is on my Twitter. Just the other day on Twitter, we had someone, I don't know who she is, she's not part of the romance community, who posted her thoughts that she would rather have a realistic book over a diverse book because it is not realistic, her quote there, to have all towns and series be diverse. That is perhaps the biggest load of white bullshit that I have ever heard, okay? Listen, I live in rural Utah, small town Utah. It's pretty damn white and straight and cisgender and LDS and just plain homogeneous here, period. Even so, even so, I know, I can see with my own eyes that there's still diversity be, to be found in my area. Maybe less so than in a city or another part of the country, but there's diversity here. For someone to argue that there are some places that are not at all diverse, and so books shouldn't be all diverse in order to match that, that's just bullshit, plain and simple. Beyond that, though, even if such a magical spot existed in real life, that there was nobody but white people there, or there was nobody but straight people there, or there was whatever, right? Even if that magical place somehow existed, that doesn't mean shit when you're writing. The entire point of writing is to create something new, to create a new world. When you choose to limit your world to white and cishet and Christian and able-bodied and whatever else, well, that speaks volumes about your own views. That's not accidental. That's not coincidental. That's not anything. That is intentional. And it's bullshit. Everyone dragged her on Twitter. I mean, she really stuck her foot in it and showed her ass at the same time. I have no idea who she was. She's not part of the romance community. But a lot of the romance community, as well as a lot of Twitter in general, came for her ass. She took the tweet down. Of course she did. However, she forgets that screenshots are forever. You know that we've got one. I'm going to be linking to that as well in case you want to see what her full quote-unquote argument was about how not all places should be diverse because they're not in real life. To end on a little more of a fun slash what the fuck part, apparently there's a company that's making custom dildos filled with your loved one's ashes, and I have no words, you guys. I have no words other than don't fuck the dead. Things that I never thought I'd have to say, and yet here we are, apparently. Moving on to the blog recap for the week. First, Jen reviewed Fiona Riley's upcoming FF contemporary, Strike a Match, which comes out on the 14th of November. She gave it four stars, and she says while there were some issues with the pacing, overall she really enjoyed it. She enjoyed the cast of characters, as well as the chemistry between the couple. This review also brought up the discussion of book budgets once again, because the publisher of this book is an LGBTQ plus press, and their ebooks are always $10. So you ought to come find out why Jen is changing her Kindle price hard limit for certain books. Not every book out there, but for certain books. So come get in on that discussion again and read her review. Jen also started a new fun post for us called Who Did It Better? And this first installment that went up this week is titled Sex in the Library. She's got five romances with library sex scenes and she's ranked them from least to favorite. Come see which ones made her list and let us know of any other books that have library nookie in it because a girl wants to know for reasons. Also, the October Royal Picks giveaway is currently up. 
and it will close on Sunday, October 29th at 11.59 p.m. So if you want to win one of the eight romances that we rated as four and a half or five stars this month, hurry over and enter the raffle copter up on the blog. It's open international. There'll be two winners. Each one will pick one ebook from the list. So good luck. Finally, I reviewed Love in Dublin by Jennifer Grayson, which releases on Tuesday the 31st. I absolutely adored this book. Beta Irish hero and everything. I'm going to be talking about this one a bit today because I finished it during the week, so it'll go into this podcast. You're probably going to get sick of hearing me talk about this book, but I'm not even sorry. Not a bit. There were also the usual posts up this week, Lusting for Covers on Sunday, new releases on Tuesday, and daily book deals Monday through Saturday. I apologize to your one-click finger in advance while also encouraging you to go treat yourself to a new book. Or ten. Shh, I won't tell anyone. Next week, I've got an interview with Sarah M. Anderson, a guest post and giveaway from Susan Cliff, and a review or two to round it out. So be sure to stop by and check out all the fun next week as well. As to my reading week, I managed to finish four books and one short story, and they all fell into two categories, awesome or hell fucking no. Yeah, it was that kind of a week. Actually, it was that kind of a week in general, not talking about books, just in real life, but you're not here for that, so let's stick to the books part, right? Without further ado, let's get into the book discussions. First, I finished up Love in Dublin by Jennifer Grayson, which releases on October 31st. This one gets four and a half stars, making it a royal pick for November. So it'll go into next month's giveaway, not the current giveaway running this weekend. Since I already did a review on this, I will try to keep this kind of brief. And if you want to know more about it, as well as see any of the quotes that I highlighted, which there were a lot of them, go check out the review for more. So let me try and get into this without repeating myself too much. Maggie is an American travel writer with a serious case of wanderlust. She doesn't stay anywhere long term. She goes from job to job, country to country, as she needs to. She doesn't even have a home that she owns to go back to. She's only 30, and she's already a widow. She lost her husband at 25. They'd only been married about a year at that point. Colin is an older Irishman. He's 41 to her 30. He's divorced and has three kids, three teenagers. He works in, like, the finance department of the local university. He's good at his job, but he's not happy with his job, and he never has been. It's just been a responsibility for him, and to him, he takes his responsibilities very, very serious. So he's stuck with the job, but it's not something that he ever planned to do. It was just what was available, and he's worked his way up to, I believe he's, like, head of the department there now. So he's a sexy beta hero, and I loved him so, so, so much. Oh, he was perfect. He's never done anything just for himself, and he's been slowly trying to find himself now, and I loved that because I feel like more often than not, we get that from the heroine in a romance who's trying to find herself or trying to start her life anew or whatever, but I don't think that we get that too often from the hero, and I kind of loved seeing this dynamic here. They first meet at the local pub. She comes over to him, starts chatting him up because that's just the way she is in general, and this turns into a nice friendship slash slow burn as she invites him along on her trips around the area, and they start to get to know each other, and of course they start to find themselves attracted to one another, and at first they're kind of fighting that, and then, you know, inevitably they give into it. So this was a very sweet romance with a slow burn, but, but, hold on there, when things finally get hot, oh dear lord, they get hot. They get hot. There's one scene 
that's just so hot and intimate and sensual and it just about kills me even now to think about it because it has one of my favorite positions oh, oops is that is that tmi Pfft, fuck it you guys know me by now right i mean you're not following me for the koi pg conversations so it's one of my favorite positions there you go let's move on <laughs> so anyway they are on their sides spooning and he says that he loves it so much because it allows him better access to all of her body at once, which, um, hell fucking yes. Continue. What made this scene really stand out, though, were the little details in the writing, like Maggie's hands intertwined with Colin's over her breast. Just, that just about killed me, and I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I think sometimes... We get so, so focused on the larger parts of a sex scene, slot A going into, or I should say tab A going into slot B, you know, stuff like that, that I think we sometimes forget the smaller parts of the scene, the little details and the little movements and the little intimate parts of it that are just, just as sexy, if not more so, but maybe are often overlooked, especially when writing the scene out. I don't know how to explain it, but I just, I adore the that Jennifer Grayson put these little details throughout her scenes because that's what stands out to me the most, okay? It's kind of the same deal when I'm looking at porn gifts on Tumblr. The ones that stand out are usually the little details like the hands here or the look there or the body tremble here. Anyway, that type of thing. It's not so much the whole, oh look, there's a cock going into a pussy thing, but that's a different story. Also, remember last week or a week before, we've had it a couple weeks in a row, I guess, where I was talking about how I want authors to have their heroines masturbate more often? Well, we get a great example of a missed opportunity for that in this book, so that was disappointing to me. Earlier in the book, Maggie is thinking about him and admits to herself that she's horny. I mean, that's her own word in the book. But then rather than do something about it, she just goes for a glass of water to cool off and goes on with her evening. And I'm just like, why? You, you had the chance there, author. You had the chance right there, laid out in front of you, and then you just, you just turned away. And that was kind of a, oh, such a big disappointment and almost a slap in the face. I really, really wish authors wouldn't do that. So this is my plea to you authors again, okay? Please, 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 please have your heroines masturbating, okay? Actually, you know what? Just have masturbation, period. I don't want to put a gender on it because it should be out there for everyone and there should be no shame no matter who it is doing it. It is something that is natural and healthy and, and common, so damn common. And yes, of course, you could point out that not everyone has a desire for sex or a desire to masturbate or a desire for orgasm or an ability to, all of that stuff. And I get that. But for the purpose here, I just mean, please, please treat masturbation like it's something that is what it is. Healthy and natural and everyone does it and there's nothing wrong with it. Instead, when we, when we ignore it or when we act like maybe we might have the opportunity to go towards that and then instead you you just shut the door and and that's not a possibility like that's uh, don't do that it just comes down to please put that in your books to help to normalize it it's something that needs to be done just period in society but i honestly believe that if it's slowly normalized within the romance genre that's a step forward to getting it normalized within society I mean, you might laugh and say, oh, as if romance dictates what society does. But that's how you slowly change the world, right? That's how you change something, is you change it within your own small group, and it builds from there. If we can't normalize it within our group that should, really, by definition, be very sex positive, then how do we expect the rest of the world to change it? Okay, so start at home and build up. Just normalize it. Be more sex positive, okay? Thanks. Moving on, though. I really loved seeing Ireland here in this book. Of course, that was 
why I originally picked up this book because Ireland is a dream vacation for me and one day, oh, one day, one day I will be there, I swear. I like to find my own Irishman while I'm there too. I mean, why else would I go, right? I mean, the scenery is lovely and everything, but really, you know where my priorities are. <laughs> Anyway, I admit that the setting here wasn't perhaps the strongest that I've read about for, like, Ireland or another country in general. But that being said, I still really enjoyed it, and it's not like I thought it was a flat setting that it was being written. I just maybe felt like I wanted a little bit more of Ireland in the book. Just a little bit. But then I'm greedy and I want Ireland everywhere, so take that as you will. So while this is a very fun and charming and sexy read, there is some angst, especially as Maggie is working through finally accepting her grief completely and realizing that it's okay to move on, to love another man, and that doesn't take away from what she had with her late husband. So you've got some of that little angst and heartache and, and feelings and emotions going on from there. But otherwise, I think it's I would say this one is still fairly light on the angst. So, you know, if you are tired of the high angst, high emotion book, this might be a good option because, like I said, there is some, but it's really not all that much. It's still a pretty light read. The ending here wasn't quite as strong as I would have liked. It was still satisfying. It's still happily ever after. But I guess I wanted a little bit more time on page devoted to them working out what their future was going to be, what their plans were. I wanted to see more of it on page, not just, oh, they're going to live there in Ireland, have their happily ever after, she's going to go off to travel for jobs but come back to him all the time type of thing. I wanted more of the on page happily ever after than what we got. But it was still, like I said, it was still quite satisfying. It wasn't enough to like ruin the book for me. I wasn't upset by it. I just was left wanting that little bit more when I got to the end. I freaking adored this book. I don't know if you can tell. And like, I'm I'm just as squeeing and fangirly in my review. So yeah, I really loved this book. And I definitely need to go back now and read the previous three books in this series, which are all about his siblings. I don't think any of them, no, wait, one of them might be set in Ireland. I think the other two siblings had moved to New York. So their romance is not set in Ireland, but it doesn't matter. I just want to know. I want to know about his siblings. I want to read more of Jennifer Grayson's writing because I really did enjoy her writing style and her voice. And um, actually, I think it was even before I finished up this book, I was on NetGalley. Why, you may ask, when I've got 400 books on there I still need to read and review? Do not ask why. Just accept that I have done it and I have no control. Anyway, I was on NetGalley randomly looking through it again, and I noticed that there was another book from Jennifer Grayson up there, different series, different publisher, that comes out, I believe, the end of November. It's a holiday romance. Anyway, I one-clicked that, so who knows, maybe you'll be hearing me talk about another Jennifer Grayson book in the next month or so. I'm hoping that I'll love that one just even a fraction as much as I love this one. That'd make me happy. I think this one will hold a special place in my heart because of Ireland. And I don't know. It was just, it was a perfect read. Highly, highly recommend. I suggest you go and pre-order it and thank me later because you are going to love it. Of course, if you do not love it, please feel free to come back and tell me as much because my word is not law and I want to hear about why something worked or didn't work for you, especially when it's something that I am recommending. But again, if you want to read a little bit more about this book, and if you want to see all the quotes that I shared, I shared so many of you guys, which is always a sign of a good book. When my finger is like calling uncle because I have to sit and swipe and highlight and share and swipe and highlight and share so often, that's when you know it's either a good book, or I suppose it could be a horrible book and I'm ranting about some of the lines. But that's not the case here, so don't worry. It was all good lines that I was highlighting and sharing. I will have those linked 
both in this podcast, and I'll have the link to that hashtag on my full review as well. So you can go through and search all of the things. Yes, including some of the dirty scenes, because hello, it me. (sighs) Okay, you guys, are you ready for some whiplash? Because I went straight from an awesome book to a book that pissed me off. I'm talking about my audiobook, Mr. President by Katie Evans, narrated by Isabel Gordon and John Lane. It's dual first POV, mostly from the heroine. There's only a few chapters from the hero. I gave it one star, and frankly, that's one fucking star's too many. So the hero, Matthew, is running for president. He's the youngest ever to do so. He's single, he's handsome, and he's beloved by much of America, partly because he's the son of a former president. His father was shot in his final year of his second term. Matthew was firmly against being president or doing politics all through his father's years in office, but suddenly, eight years after his death, he's decided to run. Don't ask me why, because I still have no fucking clue why he did a 180 like that. He just did. We're supposed to accept it and move on. It's never dove into. She's the daughter of a senator and currently working at, like, a woman's nonprofit organization of some sort. Honestly, not much is told about her or her life or motivations and drive either. All you need to know, I guess, is Matthew suddenly hires her to be in charge of the schedules for his entire campaign, deciding where he's going to be, when he's got to be there, when they've got to leave, who's got to be there of his team and the buses and all that. Like, she's doing all of that, even though she has absolutely zero experience with anything even remotely related to that. And of course, she's perfect at it. Okay, okay, sure. Okay, of course she is. Damn it, I forgot what her name even is. That, That tells you just how much I did not like this book. Charlotte. Her name is Charlotte. There you go. So my biggest problem with all of this was the age difference here. He's 35, she's 22. Now, on its own, that's not necessarily an issue. I have read others like it. I'm sure other people have as well. However, she acts quite immature, totally naive. Besides having age over her, he has power over her, plus power in general, as someone who's trying to run for president. Combine that with the years between them, and it's all just a hell no for me. But I've got to give you more context as to why it was such a problem, because that is the important part. So I was uncomfortable from the very start with the fact that they meet while at a family dinner when she was 10. No, excuse me. She was almost 11. She makes that clear. He was 24, 23. He was well into his early 20s, okay? And she immediately fell into a hard crush slash love with a dash of sexual fantasies about him, which she's carried on all these years without them ever meeting again. Okay, sure. That is just nope, nope, nope. There's also a comment when they do meet up again, and he says something like, where's the 10-year-old girl I knew? And it came off as really, really creepy because he never knew her. Was that a comment instead aimed at, where's the little girl who caught my attention back then? Because that's just a hard fucking no in that case. Nothing ever happened between them. I mean, it was a family dinner, remember? And they never see each other again. Outside of when his father dies, she sees him in passing at the funeral. But again, that's kind of a, you know, hi, we're sorry for your loss. Move on because there's more people in the lineup type of thing. Again, they didn't spend time together. They didn't talk. They didn't know each other. Sorry, back to my original point, though. His throwaway comment about missing the 10-year-old girl or whatever, that just had me side-eyeing him through the rest of the book. They both keep referring to how they've wanted each other all these years, which not only confused me, since, like I said, they never had anything, never knew each other, period. So how were they even pining for all those years? But more importantly, that grossed me the fuck out because I cannot repeat often enough, she was 11 and he was 24. 
there shouldn't have been anything from either of them after that meeting. Nothing. Not at that age. No. 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 I just, you guys, I can't. I can't. I kept coming back to that. All throughout the book, I could not get past that. And yet that part of it is treated like a throwaway bit of information. Just a bit of backstory. They met when she was 11 and somehow they've been carrying something for each other all these years. No. Nope. Nope. I kept thinking maybe if they had never met until the book starts at her at 22, him at 35, you know, maybe I wouldn't have had a problem with their relationship in that regards if the entire fucking book hadn't been framed around that interaction. I just, I cannot. I cannot. There's no way to fix that no matter how many years have passed, no matter how old they are now. When you keep going back to that's how they met and that's where it started, I can't. I cannot. Moving past the ages, because while I could rant about that alone for hours, don't worry, there's some other things to bitch about, too. Like some poor word choices. I brought these up on Twitter. At one point, he calls it her sweet, acidic taste, after he had licked his fingers after finger-banging her. Yeah, no. Tangy? Tangy, I could see. Okay, there might be a little bit of a tangy taste going on there. But acidic doesn't belong anywhere alongside vagina stuff. Ever. Later on, she thinks, he kissed the shit out of me. Um, excuse me, I seriously hope he did not, because, uh, no, that's not sexy. Since when did we veer off into scat play here? I didn't sign up for that. I am telling you, authors, word choice matters. Then there's also the fact that her sex is constantly clenching, just from him being, you know, alive and in the general area. Constantly. I was a bit concerned about her, actually. Uh, if I had turned this into a drinking game every time that she clenched or gripped or spasmed or had muscles tightening up down there, I would have probably died of alcohol poisoning before the 40% mark of the book. Speaking of, this book is nothing but them fucking every few pages. I'm not sure how they didn't get caught by everyone and their dog. Plus, I have no idea how he was able to run a campaign when he spent all day thinking about fucking her followed by a stolen hour or two actually fucking her, and more hours with them each eye-fucking each other in public until they could sneak away to fuck again. I'm not exaggerating. And I didn't even care about the sex here, which I guess maybe could have possibly been hot, but I just didn't care about these two, so I didn't care about the sex and it wasn't hot. This was a book that was mostly fucking, and had I been reading this, I'm telling you now I would have probably skipped all of those scenes. Let's take a moment to process that. I'm the damn queen of loving filthy books. You guys know that. And I didn't care about all the boinking in this book. You know it's bad when I have to say that. There was a quote from Matthew that pissed me off as well. I'm sure one of many, but this one stood out. He says, I'm about to be president of the United States and I will get what I want, meaning her. And he said it in this super douchey, super angry way that also sounded like a petulant toddler, none of which is sexy and a hero, and all of which just pissed me off. He's supposed to be only 35, and yet his character seriously comes across as yet another creepy old white politician taking advantage of the co-ed assistant or whatever she is. So there's that. On top of all that, the writing wasn't great. I only brought up a few examples that I could remember. If I'd been reading this, I'm pretty sure I would have had pages and pages of quotes to point out. There's no character growth or depth from either of them ever through the course of this book. The pacing is all over the damn place, but mostly it's stuck at a snail's pace as we watch paint dry. Of course, we're watching the paint that's drying behind them while they're fucking, because I told you, they're always fucking. 
And even when they're not fucking on page, she's having detailed flashbacks about the fucking for pages and pages, all while she's standing in public doing her job and shit, and she's going through this in her mind. All the time. Constantly. I could go on, and on, and on. I mean, nothing happened in this book, other than eye-fucking, fucking, and talking about fucking. Oh, and her clenching, remember that? And we can't forget that both of them have fond memories of her as a goddamn ten-year-old child. Final verdict? Burn this motherfucking book and cover it with salt or something. Because, God, I hated this book. Hated it. Hated it. Look, I took a fucking bullet for all of you, so please listen to me and stay the hell away from this one. I'm not sure what everyone else in my corner of Romance Landia on Goodreads saw in this book. Because... I should have just noped the fuck out after their first meeting, because it only went six feet under from there. And yet, like I said, there's quite a few that I usually agree with on books who gave this four and five stars, and I don't understand. I'm not, I'm not judging them. They can have their opinion. But I don't understand how they gave this such a high rating when this is a pile of flaming shit. Even worse, this is only book one for them. That's right, their happily ever after doesn't happen until book two. We get a cliffhanger here. Ask me if I care, because I really didn't. I don't give a rat's ass about them, so no, I won't be reading the sequel. Even though my library has it, it wouldn't cost me a thing, which is a good thing this one didn't either, because otherwise I'd be really pissed if I paid for this. Even so, free? I'm not going to go for the second book. They can just stay in this book, fucking each other's brains out for the rest of their lives, because I am done. Oh, and the narrators? Also bad. Okay, I guess the woman was okay, her voice was okay, her performance was okay, nothing special. But the man? Oh, God, I hated his voice. And you don't understand how ridiculously happy I was that most of this book is from her point of view because I didn't want to listen to his voice. Period. Imagine a cross between an automated computer voice and, like, the voiceover on a trailer, movie trailer, for, like, a high-octane action movie. Imagine those two types of voices combining... And that's what you had reading the hero's voice. It was absolutely horrible. I'm done with this one. I'm so done with this one. Done with the rant, done with the book, done with all of it. Moving on! So apparently this week is going to be good, bad, bad, good. So once again, it's another ranty, ranty discussion of a book. I'm talking about The Professional by Cressley Cole. This one is first POV from the heroine only. I would consider this dark erotica... Yeah, probably that'd be the closest thing for it, is like a dark erotica type of tale. So it's not going to be for everyone. And I knew that going in, but I had heard good things about it nonetheless, and I do really enjoy Cresley Cole's Immortals After Dark series, and even her historicals that she wrote years ago. So I figured I would enjoy this too. But I didn't. I ended up giving this one one star as well. So Natalie, our heroine, is a college student. She has got her bachelor's, or her master's, She's got her master's, and she was considering going for her PhD, or maybe it was her bachelor's, and she was going for her master's. One of the two, I can't recall. She's 24, anyway. She was raised by adoptive parents, and she loved them, but she's always wanted to know who her real parents were, wanted to find out about it. She never did do anything about it as a kid or anything like that. Obviously, she didn't want to uh, have her, her parents take it the wrong way, take it like she didn't love them or something. But after her father passed on, and now that she's obviously out of the house and living on her own, she decides to hire someone to look into her DNA and who her parents could have been. Suddenly we have, I'm probably going to butcher his name, aren't I? Alexander. He shows up and he whisks her away to Russia where, surprise, her biological father is waiting for her. And, uh, oh yeah, her father is like a mafia lord over there. Welcome to the family. 
I really hope you guys can't hear that outside. There's like a neighbor's chicken or something that sounds like it's on its last leg. I don't know what's going on. Anyway, he is the right-hand man, um, the enforcer to Natalie's father. He was taken in by her father when he was just a young boy, so he's extremely loyal and cares for him. And now we have my dog going. Hold up. Okay, let's see if we can continue this without any more interruptions from either of my dogs. Apparently the neighbor dogs are barking and they need to let me know that this is happening. I don't understand dog, but it must be a pretty big deal, whatever they're saying out there. Anyway, so this one is clearly centered around the Mafia, um, hence kind of the darker romance. When this started out, there were some things that I really enjoyed about it. For example, the heroine actually masturbates. We've been talking about this a lot, right? Yes, 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 yes. The only downfall here is she's interrupted before she can, you know, reach her end. So talk about blue clit. Mm, that's not good. Uh, another thing is Natalie mentions having a stash of vibrators and dozens of porn sites bookmarked on her computer. Uh, damn, but she's totally my kind of heroine. For reasons. There's also some really fun lines, mainly from her friend Jess. For example, Jess answers her call from Natalie while Jess is being eaten out, pauses her conversation just long enough to tell her lover to get back to work, and then ends the call by reminding Natalie that she'll kill Alexander if he doesn't treat her well. I mean, that sounds like a really awesome friend, and I kind of want to know more about Jess, to be honest. There's definitely some fun lines, like I said, but they're almost all from Jess, who only shows up a handful of times, and even then it's always on the phone. I don't think she ever showed up in person to, like, meet with Natalie or anything like that. So there's not nearly as much snark and humor as I'm used to from Cole's Immortals After Dark series. That was kind of a disappointment, because I, I, I felt like we got a little taste of some of that humor, that very specific writing style that Cole has, but we just got that taste of it, and then it just disappeared and was never to be seen again, and I really wanted more of it, especially with everything else going wrong in the book later on. I wanted more of that snark and humor that I'm used to getting from her, and I just didn't get it here. So, let's move into some of the things that did not work. First and foremost, Cole or her editor or both, whosever decision it was, uses come as in C-U-M all throughout the book. Petition please to never use the word come again, ever, okay? Come, C-O-M-E, all the way, please. <laughs> That's what she said. You knew I had to make the joke, right? Yep. I had to do it. Anyway, my point is I cannot stand come with a U. Cannot stand it. And that's how it is all throughout this book. And that's just like an instant turnoff for me. So that was one thing working against it. There's also so many damn exclamation points. I couldn't even begin to count them, and it wouldn't let me do a search function on my Kindle for just an exclamation point. But I would care to guess there was probably a few hundred. I'm not even exaggerating. There's at least a few hundred in this book. That's too damn many. And I can't even really think of more than maybe one or two where it was actually necessary, where it actually fit what they were trying to say in the sentence. Like, you could tell that that was going to be an exclamation point required there. Everything else, it just, it was not needed. And by putting it in, it just, besides being annoying, it only helped to make Natalie sound even more immature and naive than she already did, in my opinion. Look, I, I know so many are, like, against new adult in that age range. Um, you know, she's 24. He is older. I don't think I mentioned that. He is older. He's, like, 31. I'm not against new adult, and I'm not against her age here. Uh, hell, I'm 24, so, I mean, this is, like, my my age group. This is my thing, right? But what I have a problem with in, in books is when the characters act too immature. 
And I felt like that was the case again with this heroine, kind of similar to um, Charlotte in Mr. President that I was just talking about. Natalie was kind of the same way. She was too immature. She was too naive. She acted, she just didn't act the age of a 24-year-old, especially one who had been on her own and working so hard for so many of the years before the book started. There's also the fact that I felt like she started out with the potential to be a really strong heroine, and before long she just turned into this kind of this doormat, and then she would show a little glimpse later on now and then that maybe she was going to fight back and take control, and then she would turn into a doormat again. And I'm not here for doormats, and I'm not here for inconsistent characters, and I got both from her, so nope. So this one, I said it's erotica, and it definitely is, and it's uh, it's BDSM as well. It's definitely dirty, like really dirty, but even so, I didn't always connect to the hotness. Does that make sense? Like, it was explicit, and it was kind of titillating at times, I suppose, but it wasn't one that I was reading and going, uh, you know, fanning myself through it. I, I was kind of disconnected from, from all the sex that was going on. I don't know how to explain it, you guys. There's, I guess there's just a difference. I have to like the characters. I've went over this before, right? I have to like the characters in order to find the sex hot. So even though the sex was explicit here and it was dirty and it should have been hot, but I didn't care for these two so much, so I didn't care so much about the sex. Kind of ringing a bell to what I've already mentioned earlier in the podcast, right? Kind of the same thing here. This one is a very over-the-top book. Over-the-top story, over-the-top relationship, over-the-top hero and his protective streak, all of it. It's just very over-the-top. That works for some readers. That's not really my thing. I'm realizing that there's some of that over-the-topness, I suppose, that is in her Immortals After Dark series as well, but I love that series. So maybe, for me, I can stand that level of drama and, you know, silliness and way over the topness. You know, I can stand that in a paranormal or, you know, some paranormals at least, but I don't really want that in my contemporaries. I can't really get behind it in my contemporaries. I find that more, I don't know, I just find that more annoying in a contemporary setting, I suppose. And that was certainly the case here. He is like super alpha, overprotective. Honestly, he's really just more of a giant dick. That's, that's basically what he is. He's a dick. I thought maybe the first half of the book was going okay. I wasn't in love with it. I had some issues with it. I was definitely a bit more disconnected from the story and from the characters. So it's not like this was ever going to be a five-star read for me. And I knew that going in. But like I said, for the first part, I liked it. I was thinking maybe, maybe this is going to be a three-star read. You know, it's an okay read. Nothing wrong with a good three-star. Oh, how wrong I was though, because shit, took a nosedive, and before long, I knew this one was going to be another ranty one-star book. So here we are. <laughs> That's what it turned out to be. I'm going to link to all the quotes that I shared while I was reading, which I always do, of course. But in particular, I'm going to link to the quotes towards the end of the book that really pissed me off, and I got quite vocal about them on Twitter last night when I was finishing this. I go into more of... Um, kind of explaining why some of those quotes were horrible and pulling it apart. And of course, it led to other discussions from other people as well, not just me voicing my opinion. So I will link to all of that, um, but I'll kind of cover some of the bigger issues just very briefly here so that you at least know kind of why I gave this one star. But honestly, there's just so much to unpack from this book. And honestly, I'm too exhausted from the hate reading that I had to do to finish it to, to do all that unpacking here. I'm just too exhausted to even try to do that. It would take four fucking ever. 
So even though I've got more than enough ammo with just this tiny bit of unpacking of all the shit that I'm about to do, just know that it is just skimming the barrel of the issues that I had with this book. So first of all, the kink isn't really kink positive, and it's not really healthy, and honestly, it reads like yet another author jumping onto the BDSM bandwagon, even though they don't know shit about the community or how to do kink in a healthy way. He thinks he's deprived for wanting this stuff, he doesn't want to soil her with it, and yeah, I will give it credit to Cole, there is one time when Natalie tells him that, quote, you don't have to be broken to be kinky, which is one million percent truth. I cannot repeat that enough and people don't seem to understand that. You do not have to be broken or depraved or morally wrong or whatever to be into kink. It is okay if you are into kink. There's nothing wrong with you for doing it, for wanting it, for being that way. It's just, it's just what a person likes. That's fine. So I appreciated that Natalie had that comment to him, but that comment didn't mean shit within the book because neither of them follow through on that comment. And this is just yet another book where the entire reason that he is kinky and dominant is because of his shitty childhood and his broken ass pouty man feelings. That's a problem that's so common in romance and erotica lately that it's not like it was something new to this book. But I'm realizing that I cannot, I'm out of fucks to give about that type of a storyline. I'm not here for the guilty, kinky person. I'm not here for the hero or heroine even who doesn't embrace or doesn't accept their own kinkiness and their own desires and they're just riddled with guilt about it instead and they blame it on their shitty life and their traumatic past and all of that. I'm so not here for that. I'm done with it. Sounds like a helicopter. Apparently today is the day for all the noise. Anyway, that's truly only the beginning. There's a scene just... I don't know, maybe a chapter or so from the end that was pretty fucking iffy on the consent. And that's when I really wanted to throw this book against the wall. But I was reading on my Kindle, thank God, because um, I'm not going to kill my Kindle, no matter how bad the book was. If I'd been reading this in paperback, though, this bitch would have went flying. So he's furious that she tried to run from him. And as a punishment, he's going told her that he's going to bind her up, gag her, and arrange her as he wants so that he can fuck her virgin ass. I mean, literally her ass. They've been, you know, fucking for a while now. She's no longer a virgin anywhere else, but her ass is still virgin territory. So he's got to take it, of course. Alpha male. That's his. Anyway, when he lets her know that that's what he's about to do to her, she tries to stop him. She tells him he shouldn't be doing this when he's angry, which, hold up, that is exactly right. You should never be doing anything, whether you're in the kink community or not, you should never be doing anything sexual-based or kink-related as punishment when you yourself are angry, when you're not in control of your own emotions. When you're lashing out at your partner because of how you're feeling, that is a big red flag of fuck no. So she had it right by telling him that. He doesn't listen, though. He throws a tantrum to show that he's a dominant male, and he his word is law, and then he seduces her into her horny compliance and fucks her as he wishes. Listen, if at any time your partner is telling you, no, you shouldn't do this for any reason, and you just continue to kiss them and fondle them and turn them on so that they no longer think in the right mind, they're, you know, thinking with their lust and their genitals instead of thinking with their brain type of thing. We know, we know this scenario in romance and erotica, right? And this applies in real life, of course. If you're doing that to get your partner to submit to you, that's not submitting. I think we know what that is, though. That's a form of rape. She told him no. He, quote unquote, seduces her 
into forgetting why they shouldn't do it and why she just said no, and then just fucks her anyway how he wishes. You guys, I can't. I literally can't. If I stop and think about that scene too much, <sighs> I can't. I can't. I need to control myself and, like, bring my blood pressure back down because no... That is not okay, and I'm so tired of that being portrayed in erotica as sexy, as how kink is supposed to go, how a dominant sub-relationship is supposed to go. That is not how this works. That is not how any of this works, and I cannot say that enough. That is not how this works. Hell, I am no expert on kink. I'm not part of the community. Even I know that all this shit is not how that is supposed to work. So if I know that from doing no research myself, from knowing nothing, then authors need to start stepping up and actually doing the research and actually writing stuff that is safe, sane, and consensual, which is the entire damn point of BDSM. But you've got all these authors that just want to jump on to the newest, biggest trend, and we could talk about how this is partly from Fifty Shades, but honestly, Fifty Shades was not the one and only time that this happened within the romance genre, within the erotica genre. It's a big part of it, and it definitely contributed. It made it mainstream. It made it more popular and more popular for authors to come in and, you know, try to copy off of it. But it's not like that is where this all stems from. That's not the root of all evils within the genre. But it was a toxic catalyst within the genre, and we're still seeing the after effects from it. This would be honestly one of those, because once again, we've got an author writing about something that she doesn't know. And just reading this, I can tell you that because, like I said, this is not how kink works. If she knew, if she had done the research, if she had had beta readers who are in the community reading this, this would not be the same book that I've got in my hands because this is a piece of trash. It's a piece of trash. I'm sorry, but it is. There's another comment from Natalie that pissed me off. And again, I'm going to keep it brief because otherwise I could sit here for hours unpacking why it pissed me off and why it's wrong. So she was a virgin before him, right? Which of course she was. Um, and she's trying to explain to him why she was a virgin. And she says, you know, do you think it was easy to be a virgin and be sex positive at a progressive college? It wasn't easy. And I hated having to walk around in a lie. You guys, listen. Don't get me started on this bullshit, okay? Let me keep this simple. You can be a virgin and be sex positive. Being sex positive is not about whether or not you are currently having sex. And you're not sex positive to begin with if you believe that sex positivity is reliant upon you letting a dick enter your vagina. If that's how you term something being sex positive is you're no longer a virgin, you missed the entire point of being sex positive. Seriously, I could go on for an hour just on this issue. Stop me. To sum it up, sex positivity is not reliant upon you being sexually active. Like I said, that was only the top layer of issues that I had with this book. It was a choppy, uneven mess. The pacing, the storyline, nothing was done in a tight manner. I mean, there was just loopholes and issues and missing parts every damn where. Now, this one was originally published as a serial. It definitely reads that way. I mean, could I say that I could pinpoint exactly where the serials originally ended before they combined it? No, but I could probably guess just because it was so uneven and it, it read like something that was written in parts rather than something that was written as an entire arc 
for one book. You know what I'm saying? You can usually tell when something was written as a serial. On top of that, these two characters are flat as stick figures. It's all from her point of view, so I mean, that's a mark against it, right? Because you never do get his side of the story. You never can understand his character. Honestly, on one hand, I wanted to know more about his character. On the other hand, because I ended up hating him so much at the end, I don't give a rat's ass about his character, and I probably wouldn't have liked his point of view. But at least maybe that would have given him even the slightest bit of character depth. But I kind of doubt it, because this was all from her point of view, and she had no character depth. So why would having the po his point of view in here have changed his character depth? I don't think it would have. I just, I hated this one so much, you guys, and I... I thought I was going to like it. Like I said, I never thought I was going to love it, but I did think I was going to like it. And for a little bit there, I was liking it. The further along this went, the more I was screaming nope in my head. And like I said, by the end, I was just hate reading it to get to the end, to find any more quotes to share and things to point out. And then the ending, the ending is shit. The ending is wrapped up in like two pages and nothing is really resolved. Nothing is really... It's just, no. I mean, they're together. You're supposed to believe that they're going to have a happily ever after. Again, I didn't care about them, so I don't give a fuck about their happily ever after. But by the ending being shit, I just mean, it's just like she got to the last sex scene and was like, oh, okay, well, I got two pages to wrap this up, so let's do that. And that's kind of how it read. So it's just, uh, it's just a mess. I love her Immortals After Dark series. I love that series. But this one, no, take my word for you guys, just pass on it. And, you know, I feel really bad because when I first started reading and tweeting my quotes out, things were still going well at the time. You know, the quotes I was sharing were, were fun quotes that I was laughing at. But one of my Twitter followers picked up the book at that time because of the tweets I was sharing, which I thought was great because, remember, I was liking the book enough then. Not even a day later, I was hate-reading this book and ready to throw it against the wall. And, guys, I feel bad that that they gave this book a chance because of me saying something about it, and then I ended up hating the book, and I'm pretty sure they're probably going to as well. Which, you know, that's just, that's what it is to be a reviewer, right? Sometimes even if the book didn't, if the book hadn't ended bad, like even if it had been a good book from start to finish, the obvious thing is that sometimes if I'm recommending a book, it's not going to work for everyone that I'm recommending it to. I know I shouldn't feel guilty, but I just, I kind of do. I think that's kind of the issue with live tweeting a book like I do, right? But then again, live tweeting can be a good thing because you're getting my honest reaction in real time. And sometimes I feel like if, if you're just doing it as a review or a recap afterwards, you're trying to condense everything and maybe you're not hitting all the points. Whereas if I'm live tweeting something, I mean, you're going to see me go from the highs to the lows and everything in between. Like I said, that can be a good thing sometimes. Sometimes maybe that backfires on you. I'll still live tweet stuff. Like, this isn't going to change me. Anyway, back to the professional. Um, there's two more books in this series that's about his brothers. <sighs> Honestly... I can't see myself continuing with the series to find out about their stories. My library even has a second book as well. I can't picture it's going to be any better of an experience for me than this one was. So why torture myself like that? Whether it's free or not, why torture myself like that? I think I'm just, I'm just going to stick to Cole's Immortals After Dark series because this one just, nope, this one did not work for me at all. I guess if you're curious to try Cole, go with the Paranormal series. I can't see recommending this series to anyone. And it's kind of like Mr. President. This is also one where quite a few people on my Goodreads really enjoyed this series. I just, nope, I can't. I feel like I didn't even get ragey enough in this little talk. I mean, considering how pissed off I was about this book, I feel like I was far too mellow and kind of just 
like I took a step back away from this entire thing to yell about it. I think that's just to prove that I'm just, I'm done with it. I don't want to deal with this when I'm just returning it to the library and moving on to something better. I may have had to suffer through two back-to-back -back horrible books there, but luckily my next audiobook saved the day because it was frickin' awesome and I cannot stop shouting from the rooftops how much I adored this book. I'm talking about Sweetest Scoundrel by Elizabeth Hoyt, narrated by Ashford McNabb. I gave it four and a half stars, making it a November royal pick, so it'll go into the giveaway for next month. Eve is the half-sister to the Duke. She often acts as his man of business, which is just what she's doing right now. She is, um, her brother has invested into Heart's Folly, which is like a theater, opera, pleasure garden run by our hero, Aza Makepeace, although the rest of the world knows him as Mr. Hart, hence Hart's Folly. She is there to see how he is spending her brother's money, basically, on rebuilding the theater. It was burned down the previous year, and she's there to pretty much control his impulse buying, or what she assumes must be impulse buying, but really it's just kind of to put more of a budget on him and tell him, hey, maybe we don't need to go for the $50 million thing. That's an exaggeration. Maybe we could make do with like the $10 million thing instead. Again, exaggeration. You get my point though. Asa, like I said, is the owner of the garden. Um, he's a bit snarky and fun. There's a part later on when he's arguing with his brother. By the way, he's been estranged from his family for most of his life. There's an entire story there. He does kind of work back into somewhat being friendly with him during the course of this book, which I enjoyed seeing. Anyway, he's arguing with his oldest brother, and he says something like, I'm sorry, I didn't know father made you using golden spunk. And it's such a simple line, but when it's said from him and like within the context of the argument and with his kind of dry humor and stuff, it just made me stop in the middle of the street and just laugh. He also swears a fucking lot. In fact, I'm pretty sure fuck is his favorite word. Um, no wonder I love him so. I mean, that's probably a big part of it, because it me. He's also got a dirty, dirty mouth on him, and zero shame about it. So basically, he's my kind of man. From top to bottom, I'm here for it. I want my own Asa. So they meet up when Eve shows up at the theater early in the morning, only to find him rolling out of bed, and he's not alone. That was kind of a fun scene, actually. As they're trying to work through getting the theater back in shape and she's trying to make sure that the finances are in order and everything, it soon becomes clear that someone's trying to sabotage the theater and kill Asa or possibly kill her or both. We're not quite sure yet who it is. There's uh, a lot of accidents that's going on, some fires, some collapses of the theater, and we don't know until almost the end who it is and exactly who they're going after. So there's that. I should mention Eve struggles with some trauma from her past, from her childhood. So she has this fear of pretty much all unknown men and all dogs. And this fear can send her into a panic attack that's really, really severe. So trigger warning here. When she was a little girl, her father and his group of cronies would bring women and children to his estate every year and set the dogs loose on them and, well, the men would chase them down as well. I'm sure you can fill in the rest of that without me saying it. So her father obviously was a piece of shit and he needs to burn in hell as well as the other men that was there with them. Anyway, one year she was cornered and assaulted by a lord there. Her brother happened to save her before it went any further. It was more than enough to leave scars on her. Not physical ones, mind you, but emotional and psychological and just it really left a horrible impression on her. 
So we're not told this until I want to say like 85 or 90 percent into the book, but it is told then within some detail from her. So I'm warning you now, if that's something that you don't wish to read about, when you get that far into the book, when you get to them in bed talking about her childhood, just skip to the end of that scene or that chapter, whichever it is, and you'll be fine. You know, don't don't make yourself read or listen to something that's going to be harmful to you. Take care of yourself, okay? The rest of the book, um, you get little hints where you can tell that something happened and she's not comfortable because of it, but it's only there towards the end that we find out entirely what happened to her and, oh, my heart goes out to her and I totally want to take a knife to all those men and just butcher their asses because that is just so wrong on so many levels. That little trigger warning spoiler out of the way. Let's move on to some of the awesome parts of this book because there were a lot. So I literally was live tweeting a lot of this. I mean, I did this on an audiobook, so I couldn't share quotes. Though I am still waiting for my ebook copy to come in through the library. I put holds on them at the same time, but I guess whoever has the ebook is taking longer than whoever had the audiobook before me. So when I do finally get the ebook, I'm going to go back through and share quotes. I'll have to put those links in next week's podcast because I don't think I'm going to get the ebook before this podcast goes up. Anyway, I was live tweeting my reactions while listening to this because, oh dear God, there were so many awesome parts, um, mostly all related to the sex scenes, because of course, you should know me by now. I said this on Twitter, I should probably rename this podcast to Let's Talk About That Sex Scene, because every episode is like 85% sex discussion. And I'm not even sorry about it, and I'm not going to change anything about it. So I suppose you either like it and you hang around, or you don't like it, in which case... I understand, you know, I hope you have a good life. Um, this is who I am, and this is where I have the most fun. So anyway, the sex scenes here. The first one was a masturbation scene in a carriage, and oh dear lord, that one just about killed me. He basically teases her and starts taking down his pants and literally just starts to stroke himself while she's watching, and it is the hottest thing ever. Oh god. Yeah, just just trust me, okay? That that killed me. It's made even better though because a few chapters later, they have a mutual masturbation scene. So he's talking her through her first orgasm, her own pleasure, and he starts jacking off to it and oh dear god, I lied. That is how I died in that scene. That is how I died. And keep in mind, they still haven't touched each other yet. And I'm not sure at that point if I can even survive when they do, but my body is so ready for it anyway. I'm just, I am ready. I'm just talking about all the sex scenes in this book, and I'm not even going to apologize. From there, their next scene is really, really damn hot because she gets an orgasm by means of oral sex, and he starts off masturbating for her and ends up getting a hand job from her. And it's so damn hot. But here's the hottest part of that entire scene. Consent. He asks her, may I, before every part of that scene, from undressing her one piece at a time, may I do this, may I take off that, may I unbutton this, to touching her, may I touch you here, can I do this, may I lick you here, and oh dear god, it's just, uh, it's not only sweet, but so hot that I can't even form coherent thoughts and sentences anymore. This is how you turn me into a blubbering mess of incoherency. You give me hot, consensual sex. That's all it takes. Um, in my books, that I'm reading. Although, let's be honest, that would also be the outcome of giving me hot consensual sex in real life. Moving on! <laughs> FYI, when they finally do get around to full-on intercourse, that scene killed me just like I knew it would. 
she's on top and it's just, it's everything that I wanted. And I am a happy, happy reader at this point. And I will stop screaming about the fantastic sex, I promise. Probably. Eventually. Maybe? I mean, it's just, it's just so damn good, you guys. Seriously, it's hot and it's well done and it's sex positive and he is such a dirty talker and he's kind of crass and, you know, it's just, oh, it's perfect. And I want more like that. Authors, please. I just, I want more like that. My one and only complaint, I suppose, is, and it's a tiny one, like, it, it really didn't affect anything, but Asa was sometimes a little bit of a jerk to her, more towards the beginning, although there was a scene towards the end, but it's kind of the moody hero lashes out in anger and says stupid things that he regrets type of thing. You know the drill for that, right? Uh, and he does, of course, apologize for it and make up for it, and he's just so amazing to her throughout the course of the book, besides those two or three little lines, that I'm not upset about it. I mean, I'm gonna, you know, I'm, I'm pointing it out, but it wasn't enough to ruin the book for me. He wasn't a jerk like, uh, say, the last two heroes that I've been talking about today. No, Asa is just a cinnamon roll of awesomeness and dirty talk, and he's just perfection, or nearly perfection. He is perfect enough for me. And that's all that matters. The narrator, McNabb, always does a great job with historicals, and this one is no different. Definitely worth listening to this series on audio if you have the chance. Oh, and by the way, you could read this series out of order without too much trouble. There's one or two books that sometimes kind of carry on a plot or a secret or whatever, but for this book in particular, you'd be okay if you wanted to just jump in. I know this is book nine, and that's a no for so many readers that like to read in order, but I'm just letting you know. If you were like, oh, I don't want to read books one through it right now, I just want to jump into the mutual masturbation scene, you could do that and you wouldn't be terribly lost. You'd be okay. But I do recommend the rest of the series because it's awesome. I've yet to be disappointed in an Elizabeth Hoyt novel, especially this series, so I would recommend In Order just because they're all awesome and you'll thank me for it later. Book 7 is currently on sale for $2.99. I can't even remember the name of it. Anyway, I will leave a link to it. It's book 7 and it's $2.99. I think it goes back up to full price on or after Halloween, so you ought to get on it if you're interested in it. I loved that book as well, so definitely recommend it. I told you how I was live tweeting this, and I loved how when I was doing that, I had so many that either knew the series already and were squeeing with me, or they wanted to read it after what I was telling them, which is an awesome feeling for any reader when someone says, that they want to read a book that you are recommending. That is just an awesome feeling. And it's especially awesome when they're willing to, you know, buy it full price. This one is not on sale. It's, I believe, $7.99 for the ebook. And there were a couple that went and one clicked it just because of what I was saying. And that is an awesome feeling. And I hope that those who did that really enjoy it because, you know, you are trusting, you are trusting what I was saying. And I want to hope that I didn't let you down because we went over this, right? That would make me feel a little bit guilty if I did. So just, I guess, tying this in, just a thank you to everyone who listens to my recommendations and buys things based on the blog or on my Twitter feed or whatever. And especially if you're using the blog's Amazon links, I really appreciate that. I get a small percent back because I'm part of the Amazon affiliates with it. And it's like, it's really just pennies on the dollar for what you guys buy, but it adds up and it's basically just enough to help pay for like the giveaway that I do every month, for example, it helps to pay for that prize or to help to pay for upkeep for the blog. It's nothing that allows me to make a living. I'm not, I'm not that level of blogger and I'm okay with that. But regardless, whether I was making 20 cents a month or, you know, 300 bucks a month from, from the sales, I still appreciate, I still appreciate that you guys want to support me like that and buy the books that I'm talking about. I just, thank you. That's all. Just 
a big thank you from me to you. And that free short story that I read was Third Rail by Santino Hassel. It is a freebie. It's quick and it's dirty and it's perfect. And it's showing this threesome between Aiden, Jace, and Chris from his Five Burrows series. So go grab it. It should be, I don't think it's listed as free on Amazon yet. He's still waiting on them to do price change, but it is for sure listed on InstaFreebie as free. And you can pick up like the Mobi, the PDF, or the EPUB file from there. I will link to that. And if it is changed on Amazon, I will link to that as well. But if not, I don't want you to go and buy it at 99 cents because it is supposed to be free. It is awesome. I loved it. I mean, it's kind of hard for me to rate a short story. It's I think this is only maybe 60 pages, but I would totally give this one four and a half stars because it is so damn hot and I just, I love Hassel's writing and I love the this world that he is doing there in New York and it's not a happily ever after for the three of them, but from what I understand, the novella in his collection of short stories next month called Citywide, I believe it is. Anyway, one of the novellas in that collection is going to finish up the happily ever after for these three in this short story. So I am dying to read that one. I may or may not have requested it on NetGalley last night. So this weekend I'm going to read Wheels Up by Annabeth Albert, which comes out on the 7th of November. I love this series and I just love Albert's writing in general. She does really great MM romances and she's got a three or four different series going on and they're just they're all awesome. I really love her writing so I am excited to get into this one. If I finish that one up I'm not quite sure. I ought to probably do another review book to be honest because yeah those are piling up. Not sure which one. And I am currently listening to A Diary of an Accidental Wallflower by Jennifer McQuiston. I'm once again waiting for my library holds to come in, so I had to go look through the very, very small list of available now romance audiobooks, and I found this one, so I thought, well, I'll give it a shot. I've read Jennifer's debut novel, oh, what's it been, probably five or six years ago? Damn, it's probably been that long. <laughs> um, and I've never read any other one since then, even though I've put them on my list to someday get to and just never have because Mount TBR is out of control. We keep going over this. Anyway, I did enjoy that debut, so I am curious to see how this new series, this is book one of a different series, how this series goes. So I will let you guys know next week about that audiobook. Hopefully next week is more good books and not so many, oh my god, this book made me rage books because we saw how this week went, right? So what about you? Tell me what you're reading this weekend. If you celebrate Halloween, stay safe and have fun. Also, I give you permission to eat all of the candy, all of it that you want. Listen, life is too short for food guilt and worrying about the numbers on your scale. So just enjoy yourself. That's what matters. I hope you enjoyed this week's What You Reading chat, and thank you so much for listening. I apologize again if it switches the audio quality from one thing to another, and I know my voice changes a lot through the course of this one. Did you know that talking for a long period of time, especially when you're not used to usually talking that much in your day-to-day -day life, your voice gets kind of tired and starts to sound like shit by the end, so I apologize for that. But I hope that you enjoyed listening to this nonetheless. I hope you have a wonderful weekend and fall in love with some fantastic books. Until next week, enjoy. TBQ.